Blog Talk Radio. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. And that's from Leo Buscalia again. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. And, yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. I want to welcome you to our Saturday, August the 18th show. We have an author on deck, and I was telling her uh, before we went live, that I, I have, this is over 13 years we've been doing off the shelf, and I have learned something. It's always a surprise lesson that comes through for me uh, when I from, from the guests that I never expect. I always walk away with a gold nugget and curious. I'm excited to see what today's guest is going to leave me with that I didn't even even expect, and she might not know that she even dropped a gem. Uh, a lot of times the guests don't know, but it always comes through. But before I introduce to you our special guest today, I wanted to ask you off-the-shelf listeners, do you love mystery? I'm telling you on Saturday and Sunday, Columbo comes on, and I have got to see Columbo. This is a show that's probably started in the 60s and no longer airs live now, so it's reruns, but I, I still can't get enough of Columbo because I like to try to figure out what happened before it's revealed at the very end of the show. If you're one of those people, you think of the Agatha Christie uh, uh, mystery book lovers, you follow along with her, you get to know the characters, and you want to know who did it, who did it. You want to resolve it before Ag- Agatha Christie reveals it. If if you're one of those book readers, and if you also value relationships, not just a romantic soulmate relationship, but you like to see how friends and parents influence and we impact each other as we go on our journey. You look at your life when you started out, you think of all the relationships, even on your job, little brief relationships, maybe something somebody said to you, how it all influenced you. 10, 20 years later, you look at yourself, all the changes you see in you, a lot of them are from how other people have influenced you just as well as you influence other people, but if you value those things, if you value mystery, you value romance, and you value friendships, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. There's a five-chord friendship between these five guys who meet in college that is never broken despite what they go through. And there's also a murder mystery tucked into the story. It still doesn't break this bond. If you value these things, again, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's an ebook and in print format. If you don't see it on the store or the library shelf, just ask the clerk to order your copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And I would love for you to come back and tell me how you enjoyed Love Pour Over Me. So go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. I am excited, excited. As I was doing the research for this show, some some shows when I do the research, I just get, I don't know, excited and intrigued about what the guest is going to share. And this is one of those guests. Now, our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Joanne Otto. I hope I'm saying her name right. Now, Joanne is the author of the book's the You Song. I love the cover. I'm looking at it now. The You Song. 
and Daughter of Jerusalem. And both of those books are intriguing. I love the covers on both of them. Joanne is also a music lover, and she especially appreciates playing the piano. She's a teacher, and she enjoys blogging. And I encourage you to visit Joanne Idle online. You could go over to her website now and bookmark her website to keep up with what she's doing. Her website is joanneidle.com, and it's J-O-A-N-N-E-O-T-T-O.com. Again, that's J-O-A-N-N-E-O-T-T-O.com, almost just like a song, joanneidle.com. We are absolutely delighted to have Joanne with us here on Off the Shelf. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Joanne. Thank you so much, Denise. I'm so glad to be with you today. It, it, I'm, I, again, I'm, your, your cover is just, just the, the it's, there's this positive love energy that just comes through in, in the covers. Uh, Dada Jerusalem is, uh, looks like a mystery uh, uh, to me. I did read some of the synopsis on the book, but I want to talk, talk more in depth on both the You Song and the Daughter of Jerusalem during today's show. But before we get started into the questions about your books, I'd like to give off-the-shelf listeners some background on each of our guests so they, they, they feel like they know the guests before they launch right into talking about their books. So to begin, Joanne, can you tell us where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Well, thank you so much. And one thing I want to say before I say anything else, because of your enthusiasm for those covers, is that they were designed by my daughter, Megan Williams. And I think she did a beautiful job. And she also laid out all the pages uh, for the You Song, which, of course, is completely illustrated, being for young children. So um, I'm just really thankful for that collaboration with her. And just to give a little back. Yes, she sure did. She sure did. So I just want to make sure I got that in there. <laughs> but okay. um, I I grew up um on Long Island. And um you know, I had a um a really sort of stable upbringing with some parents who were, you know, very routine oriented and all that. And uh and I married someone who was very spontaneous and adventurous. <laughs> And uh, it's been it's been a very interesting journey. Um, now I live in St. Louis, and at one point we just pulled up stakes and moved out here, and uh, and I'm enjoying this part too, being out here. Um, I started that... teaching. Yeah, excuse me. Did you? No, have no, a no. Question? Go ahead. Mm, no, you well, go I ahead. Teaching. <laughs> I started teaching right after uh, I got out of college because my husband was still in school and we needed somebody to work. And uh, and so I'd always loved uh, teaching and, and young people. And so uh, I started doing that. Um, I was teaching foreign languages at the time. And um, when we moved out here and I was thinking I sort of wanted to start a new career, what I really loved teaching and talking about is literature. 
And I couldn't do that with foreign languages at that point. They weren't teaching them at an advanced level. It was just lists of vocabulary and grammar rules and stuff like that. Not very interesting. So I got another degree in English so that I could teach English because I could teach literature that way. So I started doing that. And then um, I began to be aware that there were students who weren't succeeding because they perceive things in a different way. They're usually labeled dyslexic. And so I took special training to be able to teach kids who were struggling with dyslexia. And it was a very highly organized uh, method, you know, sequenced very carefully. And um, that was uh, the inspiration for the youth song. It was those kids that I was teaching because I just felt they should have a book that was written with a vocabulary that was easily decodable or very familiar so that it would not be difficult for them to read. And it should be a message that would help them be successful, that would help them realize their uniqueness and importance to, to the world and to God. And uh, so that was how the youth song came to be. Well, that was that my is first, so, first book. So I, I really appreciate yes. you taking us through the history of how uh, the youth song. You know, I, I think about this, and more recently, how we often compare ourselves. And I don't know if there's, I don't know if I've met anybody who doesn't do it. The world has standards, and they change. They change with the times. They're different based on culture and age and different things. But the world tells you. You're here now, and this is how you ought to be. You're this age now, and this is how you ought to be. You're in this culture, and this is how you ought to be. Or you're this gender, and this is how you ought to be. And a lot of us, like when you were saying what, the, what drove you to start the youth song, the, the dyslexic uh, children, a lot of us, we know we don't measure up to what the world is saying. This is where you should be, but it's not the world standard. We should we should follow, but that standard is all around us while we're here. It's yes. all around us. So it's thank God for for people like you who show that there there is another way, a better way, and things like your work in the in the youth song. So I thank you very much for that. Now I w- wanted to ask you for years. You taught children. You talked about working with dyslexic children. You wanted to work with foreign language. Where did the passion to teach? children come from and you was your mother a teacher your father a teacher where did that come from i guess there may have been some teachers back in my ancestry but um my my parents uh neither one of them were teachers um but it just always appealed to me i don't know uh i i used to even make believe you know when i was a kid it was just it had a lot of appeal to me and I'm sure your your students are. I'm sure they appreciate the fact that you followed that dream. I'm sure they really. I can only imagine the lives that you have touched. What did you dream of becoming? Having said that, you you don't. You said your parents weren't teachers. You don't know where it came from, but you always wanted to to teach. 
when you were really young, was that your greatest passion? Some kids want to be an astronaut. Some kids want to be a nurse. Is that what your you your was always your dream? You wanted to be a teacher. I can't say that that really was always my dream. Uh, the silly thing is that the era that I grew up in, um, it was just kind of you're going to grow up and you're going to get married. So it was meeting the right guy was the big, the big dream. And, you know, it's silly to think now, but but that you know that was what my mother. Uh, she really could have been a very successful actress, I think. That was her passion. Wow. But, you know, that doesn't kind of fit in too well with, um, you know, marriage and family and all that. And once she met my dad, she just gave that all up. And, uh, you know. <laughs> we, we were talking, you know, and, and one of the things about this show was, the importance of never giving up. And, you know, sometimes if you don't fit in, you feel like, I don't belong in this world, so let me take myself out of it, to, to the importance mm-hmm. of never giving up. And, again, running across people like, because the world does have a standard, and people will let you know when you're not suited up to the world standard. You're not the right weight. You don't look right. You don't talk right. You're not meeting the world standard. So it's just very, very important to know that the world standard is not not our guy, but when you said that, I thought about my grandmother. Again, I was going back to the world standard. Years ago, the world standard was a woman, your goal was to grow up and hope that somebody asked you to marry them, and maybe you thought, well, nobody's asked me, so somebody who could be abusive, maybe they have alcoholism, they asked you, and you're like, I better say yes, because that's the most a woman can hope for, (laughs) and we don't know what that's done the families through the generations. But my grandmother told me when she was young, if you were 18 and you weren't married with kids, people looked at you like something was wrong with you. And now if you're 18 and married with kids, people look at you like something's wrong with you. (laughs) But before it was just the opposite. Before it was just the opposite. That's why it's so important not to live by the world standard but by God's because it's the Totally, totally different. Joanne, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a writer? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because I really don't think of myself as a writer. I think more of my books that they came to me as kind of an assignment from above. And I had to write those books. It's amazing. About 30 years evolved between the time I got the idea for Daughter of Jerusalem and the time it actually got published. It was about 30 years that intervened. Wow. And uh, with, with the U song, it was about 10. And in both cases... It just kind of stuck there in the back of my mind and kept nudging me. And it was like, you know, you're really not going to have completed your life, you know, what you're meant to do here uh, until you write these books. You know, it wasn't like, I want to be a writer, so I'm going to sit here and write. It was like, here's this book that has to come into the world, and you're the one, so get busy. You know? 
So it was really different. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. What a, what that that in itself is is just your evolvement. You don't see yourself as a writer, although you have two published books. I would say you are, yeah. but that you felt that yeah. it was the type of book that that was important. So you told us yeah. about what inspired you working with children. You wanted to help who had dyslexia. What inspired you to write the youth song, and you and your daughter collaborated as far as the design and the covers for the youth song and um, the daughter of Jerusalem. So when you were a teacher, did you spend most of your time working with students who did have dyslexia and other reading challenges? That was just at the end, toward the end. Uh, when I was originally a teacher, it was just in, in a classroom. And um, at first, when, when I um, started teaching, I couldn't imagine any reason why a student wasn't successful other than they weren't trying hard enough. That's how much I knew mm. about it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, you know, this was just all, uh, I'd say I, I taught grades about 7th to 12th, you know, because I, I taught a subject rather than teaching a, you know, grade. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, then it, it, um, I found out a friend of mine was doing academic language therapy, they call it. Academic language being reading and writing, right, as opposed to speaking. And, uh, you know, she was finding it very rewarding. And um, so I just decided I would take the training. And the wonderful thing about it is that it makes a major difference in these kids' lives. It's, it's what turns them around. And I found the training, you know, was so helpful that even – as a rookie, I was able to really, really help people just following the recipe, so to speak. So that was really so when, encouraging. When did, so you thought, again, you thought, and thank you for your open mindedness. you thought the child just isn't trying hard enough. I don't remember, I, I, it was years ago when I started hearing about dyslexia, and then we learned later about ADD and ADHD, how how when do you remember people starting to see not telling a child try harder try harder try harder you're not focusing you're not paying attention mm-hmm. to know it's dyslexia when do you remember the school systems that aha moment going off that okay let's stop beating up on the kids saying they're distracted they're not paying attention they're not trying hard enough that there might be something else going on I wonder how many children before they learned about dyslexia got labeled like being disorganized, not paying attention, being lazy, not caring enough. At what point do you remember it was the school system saying, there's actually a a medical condition behind this? I really couldn't pinpoint a year when that happened. I know when my kids were in school that, you know, they were – having special programs for gifted kids. They were, you know, pulling kids out for special health. I still remember remedial reading, you know, as as a phrase that was used. So um, I think for a pretty long time, you know, they have been doing that. But I couldn't pinpoint exactly when that started. 
Can you give us a glimpse of the youth song for our off-the-shelf listeners who may be parents or school teachers? They may work with children in daycares, et cetera, and they're just they. This is new to them. Can you give us a glimpse of the youth song? I sure could. I'm going to read the first few pages and then kind of tell you how it goes on. How about that? Okay. You, you are a song. The you song rings out in your smile, in your voice, in your hugs. You are a song like no other song God's ever sung. Let that song fill your part of his world with joy sounds. And then it goes on to say how, uh, what if the you song seems to be out of tune? What do you do to get back the happy tones of the you song? Because we all have that experience sometimes. And also, how do you blend the you song with the other songs around you? And I wanted the illustrations to be children of, you know, different, different genders, different races, so that every child could look at this book and, you know, kind of identify with some of the pictures in it. And just so grateful for the way those illustrations worked out because I'm not an artist and I had kind of thought it had to be an artist that would illustrate it, and that was the main thing that held up the publication for 10 years because I had the poem written pretty quickly, so I did revise it a lot over those 10 years. And um, then the thought occurred to use photographs, which really makes it even more realistic. It's really kind of nice. And uh, so my daughter, Megan, um, she knows of these um, stock photo websites. And so she found one that offered uh, a whole month where you could take 25 photos per day um, for a set fee. So we just searched that website until we found the perfect photo for each of the pages and uh, narrowed it down to the ones that we have. And I'm really pleased with uh, with the final results there, pairing the photos with the words of the poem. And I want to share one story which was um, was really precious to me because one of the photos was inspired by one of my students who was struggling mm. with dyslexia and so forth. And this was uh, after I'd finished teaching her, but I was over at her house visiting and I just took out the manuscript of the poem. It didn't have any illustrations at this point, and read it to her. And there was one page that she loved so much, and it was the thought that no other song can take your place. And that meant a lot to her. It meant so much to her because her mom had just had a baby girl, and she was feeling as if, you know, maybe she would displace her and so Mm -hmm. she said to me you should have a picture for that of a little girl hugging her pregnant mommy (laughs) (laughs) so that is what we have on that page (laughs) okay now so you help me (laughs) 
and and that is you're getting it straight from the source, straight from the source. With you talked about some of the challenges. So, are there like specific challenges that you bring up in the youth song that a child might be dealing with? I'm I'm sorry, I'm not quite clear on the question there. Are you so? The so let's say. It, it, Challenges that a child might be dealing with, dyslexia being one. It could be uh, maybe they're the youngest in their family and they feel like nobody will include them in. Their older siblings keep telling them that they're too young. Are there any, like, challenges that a child deals with that you address in the youth song? Well, it's mainly just, you know, how the world jangle tries to muffle that you song, and any of these would be ways that it tries to do that, wouldn't it? Saying, you know, you're not good enough. And, you know, not to value what what God is doing within you, you know, and trust it and be able to let it come out. And, and it comes out um, so much in our relationships with others, you know, to, to when you do something kind for somebody else, that really can break through that sense of not being good enough or whatever yes, it is. But yes. you know, but it's all it's much it's much simpler than that. You know, it's it's not addressing particular individual problems and it's not focusing on the problems. It's it's really focused on keeping that you song flowing flowing into the world. And you know, there's a, uh, there's a, I'm thinking about a woman who has a program, and I see her face in my mind's eye, and she, uh, your authentic self, she always talks about the importance of being authentic, and, it, and it's just something that co- is coming up more to me lately, how the world has a standard, it really does, and we, we, we break our necks to meet that world standard. And but God has a different standard, and it's, they're totally, totally different. And the world standard changes based on the times, based on what's going on. Just like we were both talking earlier years ago, if you were a woman, your life goal was to you hoped and prayed some man asked you to marry you, and soon, so you wanted to be a wife and a uh, and a mother, and that was it. If you had any yeah. other dreams, you you dropped them. And you and and so that was the world standard then. Well, it's changed now. So, it, mm-hmm. but God's standard never changes. And what ways, especially if we have a listener, could be not only a parent but an adult going through something, and they might feel like, you know, I don't measure up. I feel like I'm always the outcast, and I'm tired of that. In what ways, when you say being your song, can you describe that more? completely to somebody it might connect with somebody who's struggling with that when you say your song can you describe more what you mean by that your own particular song we each are unique and we each have individual way of expressing God's goodness and singing his praises and I think it does take some time communing with him to really understand what that's about 
But as I said before, I think that expressing love to others is the most important thing that we do. And it may take different forms in different professions. And, you know, if we are letting God guide us instead of the world around us trying to shape us into its mold, then we're not going to be far off track. And, of course, we can always change track as we go along, can't we? You know, we're never Mm -hmm. stuck, you know. We can always change if it doesn't prove to be the right direction that we're headed in. Yeah, and, 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 and we know God's gifts to us are peace and joy. So when those are missing, we know, ooh, I must have... I must have made a wrong turn or I'm using my thoughts wrong. Like at the start of the show, maybe you're worrying and, and you gotta yeah. stop that habit. Something something has yeah. gone wrong. Have you have you thought, Joanne, about getting the you song in schools and daycares? I wanted to ask you, if so, what has that experience been like? Well, I need to do a lot more uh than I have. I really think it would be wonderful in schools because it's helpful as an early reader as well. And and in very young children really get it and, and warm to it. So um even before they can read. I think it's a wonderful thing for parents too to be able to discuss with their children. It raises a lot lots of important questions that children can be thinking about. And um so yeah, I really would like to do more, and uh, I don't. I don't know whether uh, you know you know about this, but uh, this is why I have republished my books this year because I just didn't feel that the publisher I had was doing anything to help me get the word out. And uh, Divine Purpose Publishing has really been a great support to me. And in fact, worked with Paulette to get this interview for me. So um, that has has really helped. So I'm looking forward I, and, and, to doing more. Of what you're talking about? And the book blogs and your radio, the radio interviews, and also book the book school book buyers. There's got to be a directory somewhere of, of of school book buyers. That's one thing because mm-hmm. I can see your 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 book in 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 schools reaching out to either school librarians, maybe you start small, but there's got to be a directory. I know librarians have uh, conferences, so that might be if you could attend a conference and introduce your book or um, the Book Expo America and then you connect with the libraries while you're at Book Expo America. And it usually comes out every year, Book Expo America, around May usually comes out. So that's a, that's another avenue. Mm-hmm. And then school book buyers, to, they have to have directories. There was a directory I used years ago when my book, Portia, came out. It's for off-the-shelf listeners who might want to write their own books or market books, just sharing a few tips. Uh, I think it was the Gabby Press, and they list, they don't list so much schools, I don't think, but they list uh, TV, radio, newspaper, magazines, and then you can get your book out that way, especially if magazines and uh, newspapers have book columns or book reviews. You can reach out to the reviewer, would you review my book, and get exposure there, and then keep trying that library 
uh, school path yes. as well. Maybe just an hour, an hour or two hours a week. You just focus on that, and if you commit to it in a year, you bound bound to see results. And I would say that to any off the shelf listener, if who wants to get a product going or you want to get your career going as a speaker or whatever, just commit to doing a certain amount of time every week. It can be something small, but you're going to do something different and outreach and then follow up every week, one or two hours. In a year, you're bound to see some results. That share, Joanne, yes. how soon after you published the You song, you said that was, if I remember you correctly, that was a 30-year process, and then the Daughter of Jerusalem was a 10-year, if I got the books correct. The, but the, other, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, the, the, okay, the Daughter of Jerusalem was 30 years, and then the You song, yeah. so the Daughter of Jerusalem was written first. I wanted to ask you, is the Daughter of Jerusalem, and to our off-the-shelf listeners, I hope you do hop over to Joanne Otto's website, and it's joanneotto.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-O-T-T-O.com, and check out the covers of her books and learn more about the Daughter of Jerusalem at Amazon. And while you're there, hopefully you'll purchase a copy. But what I wanted to ask you was, is the daughter of Jerusalem, is the book based on a real person that you met? Um, not a person that I met. Um, the main character is fictional, but it revolves around actual events that are recorded in the Gospels. And I really wanted to be, you know, not distorting anything that was in the Gospels, but to fit this fictional story in around it. it. In other words, I wanted anything that happened in the book to be something that could have happened, given what we know from the Gospels. And the main character is a young woman uh, in her mid-teens. And I say woman, because in those days, she would have been considered a woman, and she would be marriageable at like 13 or 14. And that's something really for today's readers, you know, to think about. And um, what had come to me way back was this girl having a very special relationship with her father, who is a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council who met at the temple in Jerusalem. And he he has no sons. And this little girl shows an interest in the holy books. And so he does something that kind of sets her outside the society she lives in. He starts teaching her the scriptures. And this is a big passion of hers. And uh, the thought of getting married and having to do housework and children and all that is just, but that's what she's supposed to do. That's supposed to be her, her life. And so it's the story of what happens when a young rabbi from Galilee, whom we know as Jesus, who by the people of his time would have been called Yeshua, and Yeshua is the name he has in the book, because that's the Aramaic for Jesus. And he comes down to teach in Jerusalem at the temple, and she hears him. And so it's all about the impact that this has on her and and on her family. So 
the, the basic now, story. Now, and well, women. Yes. So she and that I knew. You got married young back then. Were were women? You know, I know in the school women weren't supposed to speak in church and those types of things and teach. But were women not permitted to even read the scriptures? Back they then. just would be considered a waste of time teaching them the scriptures. It wasn't like absolutely forbidden, but, you know, why prepare a woman for, for that when she wasn't expected to do that? That just wasn't her role, you know. So I don't think it was absolutely forbidden, but uh, it wasn't encouraged at all. <laughs> now this this scene, I think my curiosity way way up so let me ask you this were based how much first of all how much research did you do in preparation for writing the daughter the daughter of Jerusalem (laughs) well part of it you know since I was in the Bible all the time every day for decades it was happening without necessarily being directed toward the book, right? I'm studying the scriptures for myself. But but then um, once I started thinking about writing the book, the big gap that I felt wasn't in knowing what happens in the Bible, but knowing what would everyday life have looked like back then, you know, because I'm going to have to bring details into this story to make it come to life. So, you know, what kind of everyday things are they going to be doing? And um, and what would a woman have been allowed to do and not to do? You know, what, what were the customs? And um, so all of this was what I felt I needed to do the most research on. And the interesting thing was, you know, and I got a, a number of books. I visited websites and so forth, all kinds of things to, to kind of get the information but I realized that I'd overloaded on information. And I started wondering, golly, can I really write a novel? I mean, can I really do this? You know, it just, it felt almost overwhelming because I had so much information. And, um, mm-hmm. and finally, um, I, I sort of thought maybe I needed to turn this wonderful book idea over to somebody else to write, you know, started doubting myself. And um, I called a friend who was a published author, and we had a lunch date, and I told her the story, and she absolutely loved it. And she said, I'd love to collaborate with you on it, but I can't do it now because I have a book contract, and I couldn't do anything before next year. And I said, what can I do in the meantime? And she said, write me an outline. Well, when that outline started coming, because outline, that sounds feasible, doesn't it? That doesn't sound quite so alarming. And so I started in on the outline, and it grew, and it grew to about 11 very closely written pages. And I looked at the outline, and I thought, what if I start trying to flesh this out? And so I started writing and it was wonderful. I just, I really felt like God was directing the whole thing. And, and sometimes I would have written a chapter, and then the next morning during prayer, you know, something would come to me, you've got to add this to that chapter, you know, or 
something I'm wondering about. Uh, the solution for how to work it out would, would come to me. And it was just beautiful. I felt guided step by step through the whole thing. And when I finished it, I'm looking at it and I'm going, but it's only 88 pages long. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, is it long enough? <laughs> and then I thought of my students, my dyslexic students. This book is not going to intimidate them, is it? This is a nice short book, ah. right? And then I thought of, um, well, uh, I didn't think of this, but a young friend of mine uh, who was a camp counselor, she could easily complete the reading of this book with her campers over a, a week or a two-week um, stay. There you go, Joanne. At that time, you know. And I've even read it to people in nursing homes, you know, because I can mm. read it to them in two days, you know, right back to back, an hour and a half each day. I can read it out loud to them. And, uh, you know, and they love it too. So it's really been wonderful. It's enabled it to be shared more, being the length mm. of it. So it, it's all been just right. But <laughs> Yeah. Can you I, this this question I'm, I'm for the story, and then I want to ask you about Mara, the 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 lead character in the story. But I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you um, back then when you think about Christ and the the uh, you said her father was a Pharisee. They were. How would you if you were to compare them to like in a in the church today or the Catholic church? Would they be? Um, if they were in a Catholic church, a Pharisee, you wouldn't be the Pope, but you would be. At what what level in that would you be? And then in a more of a traditional Christian church, would you be like a bishop, her father? What would what would it be comparable based on what you your knowledge to what he uh, in his level as a Pharisee? What what would in other religions you know, that be comparable to? In- this is an interesting question because a Pharisee wouldn't really fit into anything in the Christian tradition at all. Um, they were more, uh, and um, the ones who did occupy priestly offices uh, were the Sadducees. Ah. So, you know, you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, both Sadducees and Pharisees sat on the council in the Sanhedrin. There were both. But uh, the Sadducees were the ones who were kind of, they inherited their position. Uh, They had to be of the tribe of Levi. They were sort of a spiritual aristocracy. This is all different from our church, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not really like we don't, you don't inherit it and this kind of thing. But that, that was the Sadducees. But the Pharisees were like rabbis and teachers. And uh, they worked really, really hard at uh, following the law and the law of God and the law of Moses, right? That was their big thing. And sometimes they got so carried away with it that they were kind of taking a checklist approach to virtue, right? And um, that, that is what Jesus took issue with, with them. But, but they were basically good people. And I think we forget that. We think the Pharisees were the bad guys. Yes, yes. A couple of Pharisees 
were the ones who gave Jesus a proper burial. There was no reason, you know, somebody who'd been crucified was very often just left out there for the carrion birds to do away with, you know. Um, and, and they, these two Pharisees, saw to it that he received a proper burial. And that took a lot of courage on their part because to come out and let people know you were a follower of Jesus was not popular on the Sanhedrin, you know. Uh, so, yeah. But they were good, wow. good people, really, basically. Yeah, so I, that's one of the things I hope that the book will sort of overturn this negative, totally negative view of, of the Pharisees. Yes. Yes, they had their faults, but, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, now, so her father's that, a Pharisee, yeah. but she is taught, she meets Jesus and she's, it piques her interest. Does she... Because the the Pharisees' Christ teaching was very very different. They thought he was like, you know, with reading the King James version, he was blasphemous and like it was very wrong and like leading the people astray in their eyes. So here is this yeah. Mara, and she's her father's a Pharisee, and she's when Christ teacher does she now start to separate from her father? Because the teachings are, they don't seem the same. It's the same message, but well, they, the... Yeah, the thing about Jesus' teaching that was so different was it wasn't based on book learning. There was an authority that was beyond that. And, you know, she can't get over the combination of meekness and authority that she sees in him, you know, because the, the Pharisees, they were proud, but the, their authority was kind of based on writings and other people and, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas Jesus, it was, it was a holy divine authority. And, and, it, and he was so meek because it was all the father working through him. And, you know, so he, this is what she sees and it touches her very deeply. But each member of her family ah. has their own their own take on Jesus. Each one kind of, you know, has has their own take. And so it causes some family conflict, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. I can only imagine the father sticking to the law. He's, you, you, it's, it's Christ is talking about, like you said, not just sticking to the book. What he says within the book does have spoken about him, but... They did. It's, they couldn't see it. To know the law that well and not even see the person it was speaking about is almost is astounding, at, at the least, absolutely yeah. astounding. Could you introduce us to Miss Mara? What What is she like? I know you said she's curious. She's curious about the scriptures. This isn't something maybe that little girls normally do back then, but what are some of her passions and what is her family like? Does she have siblings? What's it what's it like for her growing up as a little girl? Well, she has an older sister and uh her name is Rachel. And um you know, she loves Rachel very much, but Rachel's very different from her. Rachel is much more your traditional uh female of that era and the story opens at Rachel's wedding which, of course, brings all sorts of thoughts to Mara because 
you know, my goodness, Rachel's only two years older than me. This could be me. And, you know, yes. and, uh, you know, so it's a good place to kind of start. <laughs> and um, so that's, uh, that's, you know, kind of a contrast there between the two sisters. Mm-hmm. And um, then when, when Mara is born, um, you know, it becomes clear that the mother isn't going to be able to bear any more children. And so, oh, okay. um, you know, so that's how her father knows he'll never have a son. And, um, you know, so her interest really, you know, it's satisfying to him too. I mean, he's taught other boys as any Pharisee would, but, but to teach a child of his own just means so much to him. And so that's mm. how um, Mara gets uh, where she is. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and and she does. There's there is a very independent streak about her. Um, I have it seems to be very like it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, and I yeah, like that. that. It seems it, like when you're talking about her, she's already wanting to do things that aren't common uh, for girls during that time, and she's going after it, which is I, I, I really is is, is amazing. Um, now, one re- reviewer shared this about the daughter of Jerusalem. Said Joanne Otto wrote Daughter of Jerusalem primarily for middle grade readers, but as an adult, I thoroughly enjoyed it too. Based on biblical references, the book is well written and acquaints the reader with some of the history of Jesus in a unique way through the eyes of Mara, a spunky, spirited young girl who appeals to modern day readers. Now, this is my question to you What do you think it is, Joanne, about Daughter of Jerusalem that also attracts adult readers? Well, I think primarily it would attract adult readers who love the Bible. I think that's the, the key, because I don't think it would be of much interest to adult readers who don't care about the Bible. But um, a lot of people that I know do, and, and, uh, and they have. Um, and I, I want to mention one thing that's kind of unique about this, because you don't find this in the back of many works of fiction, but I felt it was so important to include um, some kind of a uh, bridge to the Bible itself at the end of it that I've put in uh, references. You know, so each place where something from the Bible comes into one of the chapters, I have put the references where they can find that in the Bible, in the back, in the appendix. Ah. And I put in um, discussion questions, which can be, you know, wonderful for like a mother-daughter book club or some kind of a Christian book group. Um, And then uh, finally I've put in an appendix, you know, uh, or sorry, a glossary where they can look up words that they might not know what the Sanhedrin is, for instance, or at one point, um, God is referred to as Hashem. Oh, Hashem, what's that? You know, it's right there in the back. But uh, Hashem actually means the name. And that's what they would have referred to God as in everyday conversation because his name was so sacred that you weren't supposed yeah. to actually voice it out loud. And so they'd say the name as if to say, you know who. <laughs> you know? Wow. So things like that. And um, so that's that's in the back. 
but uh, it's not it's not terribly complicated. You could read the book without ever looking at that and just enjoy it as a work of fiction. But if you want to use it for something more, um, it's there. So that was important. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, uh, and thank you for sharing that. It sounds interesting. I may get a copy because it sounds like just the things you've. Uh, it sounds like you could be almost a teacher to people when you. As many years as I've spent in church, and I've got two ministers in my family, some of the stuff you've shared, I'm like, I never heard it put that way before. You simplify things mm-hmm. that uh, other people may complicate, and then. Also, the the story about the Pharisees and when you started talking about them doing this off-the-shelf interview, I'm thinking, wow, she's actually making them, humanizing them, because most people think of Pharisees as very bad people, like they just yeah. are, were against Christ, and then you, 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 you sort of fleshed them out and humanized them, which I do appreciate, and that could be a takeaway for people who do get a copy of the daughter of Jerusalem, being that her father is actually a Pharisee. Now, what do you hope that readers gain from reading the daughter of Jerusalem, uh, Joanne? What do you want to see readers walk away with? That's a good question. Um, And I think a a deeper appreciation of Jesus. And, Mm. you know, because it's, it's dedicated to all who love Yeshua. You know, so um, and and also um, another, you know, besides the Pharisees, um, there's there's another person in the Bible who, for centuries, has been assumed, not, not just assumed, to have been a prostitute, and that's Mary Magdalene, and ah. she is actually a character. She's a character in this book. And so I hope people are going to walk away with that misconception of her uh, cleared up because um, there is a story of the woman washing Jesus' feet, but there's no name given to her in the Gospel of Luke. And Mary Magdalene is not introduced in the Gospel of Luke until the following chapter. So, you know, there's no reason to assume they're the same person. And in fact, he had a number of female disciples who, as it's put, ministered unto him of their substance. You know, in other words, they get they supplied his his human needs because he was out there working for other people and not getting paid. You know, so uh, there were several Susanna and Joanna, and and Mary was one of them. So um, that they he had female disciples. And uh, because those were the times when, when the Gospels were written, they don't get as much mention as the men disciples do, uh, but they were there. And, and that was one of the things that was so unique about Jesus, because he treated them just as he would treat the men. You know, they were, they were just as important. You should be a teacher. Oh, my goodness. I'm listening to you <laughs> as many years as I've read the Bible, and I'm like, she needs to... You no, your voice needs to be out here. So you, I mean, my <laughs> goodness, you've talked. I said every guest teaches me something, and it's something that comes as a surprise. And you have, you've told a couple of things to me. I'm like sitting here uh, listening to you with like, wow, I, all these years I never 
heard a minister or a pastor say some of the stuff you just said ever. So I really thank you for that. Uh, we only have five more minutes left. I wanted to ask you, how do you create and develop book characters? You don't see yourself as a writer yet, but you've written two books. So how do you go about that process? How did you develop Mara? How do you develop the characters and the youth songs? What is your process to create and bring these characters alive? Wow. I just sort of live their story while I'm writing it, you know. Um, just try to think out from where they are in that particular moment. And, um, you know, it just kind of unfolded itself. I can't say I have like a literary technique for this, you know, but uh, they spoke to me. They spoke to me. That's all I can say. So you start writing, and the characters you feel like were Lily telling you, okay, this needs to happen. I need to do this next. Mm -hmm. Well, I just hear the words, you know. I love writing dialogue, and I love reading dialogue, you know. So uh, there's a lot of that in in the book. Okay. um, You, I mean, I have so enjoyed you. Oh, my goodness. And the things you shared, yeah. I just bought a copy of Daughter of Jerusalem and and mm-hmm. as we were doing this interview, but you, your, your voice has to get out here. I mean, things that people keep saying, I've heard it for decades, and I'm like, wow, she's really, it's, you said some things that I've never heard before, so it, yeah. Um, I think your voice really, really needs to be out here, and I'm just honored to have had you on Off the Shelf. Can you please tell us if you're working on any new books and give us a glimpse into what you're working on now? Well, I'm really not working on any new books at the moment because I just kind of felt they have to come as the kind of imperative that these two came on, um, you know, came with. And and I am writing, I'm always writing, you know, writing my journal, uh, writing poetry, writing essays. But right now, um, I'm not, you know, involved in, in writing a book. Okay. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of the uh, – where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of the youth song and the daughter of Jerusalem? They're available on all those book-selling websites like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and so forth, and they're available. Um, the U Song is available in hardcover, which is helpful for young kids, and, uh, and paperback, and, um, the, um, and they're both available in paperback and, uh, and in e- e-form. So you can get, for instance, the Kindle uh, edition of both of them, but I really think uh, for the youth song, it's probably better to have it, you know, in hand with a young child. It's just really nice, and I'm so grateful with my new publisher that I don't have to charge so much for them. I am truly oh. grateful that the prices are much more reasonable. Okay, now do you have any upcoming speaking engagements that you can let our off-the-shelf listeners know about? Well, this is my last in this series that Paulette has set up for me, but I am just so grateful to 
have gotten to be with you, Denise, and uh, I feel like you've really helped to bring out what what I would would love to have known about these books, and it means so much. Thank you so much. Oh. Well, you're welcome, and thank you, Joanne, to our off-the-shelf listeners, from our loyal listeners who've been with us for more than 13 years, to those who may have just heard Off the Shelf for the first time today. We have been especially blessed and treated to our special guest, Joanne Otto, and she's the author of the books The Youth Song and Daughter of Jerusalem. She's also a music lover, a former teacher. She's worked with students who had dyslexia, which is what inspired her book, The You Song, and I encourage you to visit her online at joannotto.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-O-T-T-O.com. I just got a copy of Daughter of Jerusalem, and I encourage you to go out and get a copy as well. And remember the quote that we started today with, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy, and that's from Leo Bascalia. And, 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 and keep that in mind. If you're worried about not meeting the world standards, remember the youth song. Uh, I encourage you again to get a copy and a copy for a child. If you remember the youth song and be your authentic self, the worrying that you're not meeting the world standard should start to erase itself and go away so you can experience more joy and peace. We want to thank Joanne Otto for being here with us today and, again, encourage you to go out and get copies of her books. I hope to hear her voice more and more out here. She shared some wonderful things with us. If you came in on the show midstream, when it finishes streaming fully, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety and share it with book lovers and book clubs and and teachers and daycare uh, 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 owners, just any and everybody you can think of who might be needing a shot of inspiration or encouragement or, or, or just to, to celebrate their uniqueness that you will share this interview with them once it finishes streaming so they can be blessed themselves. want to thank you, all of our listeners. As I always tell you, you are incredible. You are awesome. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. To Joanne, I will shoot you an email. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Thank you, Denise.